This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 147, Prophecy of Kings and Nomad Reveal with Dane Beltrami. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. start we don't waste any time hunter we what are we doing we can't have any of this like oh matt and hunter are gonna like waffle on about like some stupid oh oh, molly what's what's matt's baby up to (laughs) nobody cares okay well you don't have to throw all of those old (laughs) intros to various episodes just in the trash can like you didn't like them well and like they weren't your ideas most of the time hunter we are wasting already too much time because today we are joined by our good friend, Dane Beltrami. Hey, Dane, how are you? I'm great, Matt. How are you? I'm really good because as of, I guess, a couple days ago, I don't know, this is funny to record because we're once again like in the past future, past time sync problem. Anyways, the expansion to Twilight Imperium, the Prophecy of Kings expansion has been announced uh and even some details hunter you missed it hunter there wait there's an expansion (laughs) three weeks from now three days ago the expansion got announced (laughs) wait has matt seen this does matt know about this somebody should i'm emailing i'm i am emailing matt right now matt oh man the jig is up i'll tweet him about it i'm (laughs) curious So I, yeah, we, so I don't know how much we're supposed to talk about, like, what we have or haven't known. We're recording this actually kind of a bit in the past. So in terms of what was revealed in Fantasy Flight's in-flight report earlier this week, uh, I actually don't, I don't know what happened, even though at the time you're listening to this, we will know, like, what was specifically talked about. But we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff by ourselves um, with regards to this faction, but dude, our timeline is so messed up that when you brought up the in-flight report, I was almost like, "Yeah, check that out." July 29th, yeah. <laughs> seven o'clock central. <laughs> we are all. This has been the weirdest two months of Hunter and I's life because every single episode exists outside of the temporal like, continuity, yeah. which yeah. actually is pretty fitting considering the faction. Yeah, that considering we'll the, the theme of this expansion, yeah, and and what we're going to talk about a lot today. Which let's say that off the top, we're going to reveal. One of the factions. There have been three revealed already, but like, stay tuned to this episode because we are revealing a fourth of the seven. What? Seven total <laughs> factions. Dane, you're a madman. I just want to say that off the top too. This is this expansion is ridiculous. You know, um, I just really liked the number twenty-four, and it's for all the it's for all the reasons that everybody yeah you know said it, it's it's easily divisible by eight, six, yep. uh, four, three. three. Yeah, everything. Um. I, where I really want to set the record straight on this whole conversation, where I want to start this is, Dane, yes. you listened to, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, <laughs> Hunter and I did an episode called Our Expansion Wish List, and I just need to get, I need you to give me a number between 100, 1 and 100, like a percentage value. How much did we nail it? Uh you know, we had this discussion a long time ago, and I'm trying to remember, but I felt like you guys hit a lot of you messaged the core me ideas. 
I want to brag about this. You messaged me and said yeah, that clearly was. Clearly, you do want. To I brag very about badly want to brag about this. You said that was eerily accurate. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I I I I remember this conversation. Yeah. It's I I'm super stoked just because this is. I mean, honestly, not just because we were right, which we were. To repeat that fact, we were right, uh-huh. but surely also, <laughs> you were wrong about something. Oh, we were definitely wrong about a couple things. The 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 way tech, the way you introduced new tech was wrong. There's a bunch of stuff. Actually, there's all kinds of stuff we were wrong about. But also, yeah. we were super right about some stuff. Um, but all that is to just say that like that's what gets me super jived about this expansion is I, I genuinely think it is like everything we could ask for. I mean, it's a huge expansion. I think people are gonna see that based on just like how big it is i mean it's at a price point that is like oh that's like a whole new board game like that's an entirely new board game right i mean if you do even like a count of it it is almost as many components as came in the base game <laughs> for ti oh yeah it's 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 honestly not not uh not too far behind yeah um so with with that in mind i guess before we even get into like all the specifics in your head dang now that you have finished this colossal work where where are you go is there like the idea that you could ever even do another expansion because honestly based on the same discussion i have no more things on my wish list i don't know how you could conceivably do another expansion and i know you work for some big you work for the man and you can't right oh yeah i don't get to postulate on the existence of blah blah we've heard it before bud you did it on this show i I can i can i can talk i can talk to this a little bit great um because because this this question has actually come up to me uh, many times since since finishing work on on pok and first and foremost the answer is i don't know Right. Like I, I you we know, just finished, I wanna see you just finished this thing. <laughs> I wanna I I wanna see it sit for a while. Yeah. Um before I could even think about that. My gut says that uh, you know, the game doesn't have a lot of room for more new systems. Yeah. Um at this point, um post post POK. I can see a world where um you know, more more content um, right. to fill certain things out, which that's uh, that is exists, kind of explicitly at a part. Become, yeah, yeah. Uh, even that could become uh, overwhelming, assuming that it yeah. isn't already. Um, <laughs> and 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 there, you know, there is planned content. Right. Like I, right. I, I don't need to be coy about that. Um, we know at this point that the codex exists, and right. and I will be working with that, but also using that. You know, I'll be able to like pivot to what people want, yeah. um, to what the game needs at that point. Um, we are literally like so, one step away from this being like a video game with like constant updates of like changing systems. I mean, I mean, I know you would never do that, but like with the with the codex aspect of this like expansion realm that we're in, yeah, that you, you have the ability now to just sort of like persistently update in whatever way you choose. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to going forward is like how this game can. Sh- change on a more micro level but now we have this huge macro (laughs) level change so i think we got to get into it um and let's just start from the 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 onset of what is the what is the prophecy of kings like what is what's going on you know every ti has a lot of lore in it we just recently had an episode about the lore um and i feel like the best way to get into this is like what is the storyline of what leads us into Prophecy of sure. Kings and like where where are we at now in the galaxy? So the Prophecy of Kings story centers um, mostly around 
uh, one faction as its focal point, the Mahakt Kings. Um, and of the seven new factions, they are the only one that has been previously mentioned right. um, in in TI lore. Um, and one of my goals with this expansion was that I wanted to use it to kind of progress the story of TI right. forward. Um, and, and I also wanted there to be a kind of a unifying element uh, story-wise for the reason that all these these new factions um, have have been introduced into the fold uh, of the other yeah. 17. Is this more or less like the, f- the first time, at least in a very long time, that that has happened? I, I didn't even think of that until you mentioned it, but like really every iteration of TI has been retreading old ti editions or looking to yep. the past like shards of the throne Correct. was very much a like let's look backwards and have this scenario about the fall of the lazix but this kind of is the first time that we're like let's go to the next phase like let's move yep. forward in this the is story. the first time the story has advanced that's interesting that yeah um so the idea um behind the expansion I, i'm not going to go super mm-hmm. far into it um but uh, is that the Mahakt were kind of imprisoned outside of the galaxy or like isolated and that through the the events of the narrative of Prophecy of Kings they were they were let back in and their their reemergence onto the the galactic scene is also serves as the catalyst for the the other six uh, joining right. joining the fight. So you know the 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 ones we know about already um the uh, the argent the argent flight mm-hmm. um, they were the they were the ones tasked with uh, making sure that the Mahakt never did return. They're like the guards. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> gotcha. um, and then the others, um, the Titans of Ol, they were at one point constructs um, of the Mahakt, and now the the the, the Mahakt came back they've awakened but mm. are no longer like under the mahakt control right. um and so uh, you know e- each each faction like that will have some kind of connection to to the mahakt but um right, right. i want to yeah. point out you sort of glazed over it but the the sort of inciting incident of this expansion is like the most dane beltrami thing i can ever <laughs> imagine which is yep, and a, you've a talked about it in expedition the... <laughs> into creus space <laughs> you had to center the whole expansion around a creus moment so the 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 what the wormholes sort of something went awry and unlocked all of the things that are now being uncovered but i i I won't go into the super specifics of it but i I will say that uh you know one one of the things that the mahakt can do is genetically rewrite and control Mm -hmm. you know and so part of the the introduction is that uh they have taken control of a legion of of Creus oh now called the the Crimson Legionnaires and they've uh, they've gone full full red mode. Wow. That rules in a way that I can't <laughs> <laughs> like explain. Uh so let's get into I guess content then and uh to just to reiterate we're going to we're going to reveal a fourth faction today. Um but that's going to come after the back of like let's really I, we wanted to talk through kind of like all the the broad strokes mechanics of everything that like happens in this expansion. Uh, and then we will talk about the fourth, uh, the fourth of seven total factions uh, in this game. So uh, I don't know, Hunter, where should we, where do you want to start? Ooh, well, um, to, to look at my script for the episode, um, 
it does say to start with the action cards, but that might just be because at action AC that that would be first alphabetically. Sure. Um, but I think is I, I would like to reveal an action card that is near and dear to my heart if I could. Yeah. Um, it is called Confounding Legal Text. <laughs> okay. I, Dane, <laughs> this, I, this feels like a direct troll at us. Like, this feels like you have that done is, this that is, to... That is 80 to 99% accurate, somewhere, somewhere in that range. It's pretty great. Um, here, let me let me let me read you. Let me read you what this card does. Uh, when another player is elected as the outcome of an agenda, you are the elected player instead. So it's the opposite so, of confusing legal text, which is a card that is notoriously difficult to use and notoriously misused and infamously misused in our very first live stream that we ever did. Uh, right. So that and rules. <laughs> I would like to note that when this card confounding legal text was in testing and somebody revealed it yeah and misused it i knew that i had succeeded <laughs> <laughs> the legacy continues <laughs> like father yeah. like son <laughs> um, and, and um yeah, that so, so was all, a thrilling moment in development. Yeah, that's I, I love great. the idea of, of there being more and more cards like this over the course of time where there's eventually like contrived legal text, <laughs> contriving legal text where we just, we turn the agenda card over and we don't speak of yeah. it anymore. Uh, uh, let me make a note of the <laughs> um, So I, I want to use that kind of as a segue to, to, to note that uh, so first and foremost, this expansion has kind of a lot of just more of the same, right, of what people want. So so similar to Confounding Legal Text, there's there's a bunch of new action cards just in, in general. Here, here are new action cards. Hooray. Um, but in addition to that, there's new agendas and there's new objectives and new tech. We'll kind of go through all of that. But uh, there, there's new systems entirely. But I think a lot of people for a long time have been begging for just like, I just want more planets and I want more action cards and I just want more of that stuff. So that's there. Here it is. We have all of that. Let's let's do like one other action card just to give a flavor of kind of how uh, weird Dane is, how weird of a designer <laughs> Dane chooses to be. Uh, uh, reverse engineer. I don't know how to take that. I know. <laughs> is another action card that is after another player discards an action card that has a component action take that action card from the discard pile. So pretty specific to like, it's not just like any old action card. There was a there was an action card in TI3 that was like, hey, look through the entire discard pile, which is like 100 cards at this point, and find one action oh, yeah. card. No, and that's like an absolute nightmare. So, so furthering your uh, goal of taking what kind of exists in TI3, but like really refining it and making a thing that's like, oh, hey, actually this can function and be good uh, instead of like a total time sink. Uh, I think this is a great example of more wacky stuff that doesn't have to like totally detract from like the pace of the game. Yep. Um, let's talk about, I don't know, some, some agendas. There's new agendas. Uh, I think we have to address some stuff happened to the agenda deck. Dane, do you mind explaining like what, what yeah, in, in the so, rule book, there's a note about agendas basically. Yeah. Um, there are a number of agendas that are removed. Um, and some of those will just disappear entirely, and some of those uh, we will talk about in a later section. Yeah. But basically, um, I wasn't really happy with the way that the you know elect a planet turned out because 
honestly, it just ended up being really bizarre um, uh, agendas because people, like you know, there's 40 options. Yeah. So it's 40 eligible outcomes, and the and and uh, honestly, half the time people didn't really care about them. In addition right. to the fact that there is an overwhelming number of possible right. Um, things for, for so, generally speaking to kind of a small gain like usually you, you know it's like okay yeah. who's gonna get plus two on their planet cool i guess uh and, a planet and, that they may not even control right uh, for the next and, and more importantly too the, the most fun i would say people have with the new agenda phase is like the writers and and the idea that like oh there's a little bit of like sometimes you want to predict what other people are doing or like you're manipulating agendas and when there's 40 options you just don't get to do any of that so it always turned into right. like well let's just slow the whole like let's just okay burner oh we got a we got a dud agenda let's move through it so you kind of basically yep. removed all of not you know most of the duds not to say every single agenda has to be like a game breaking let's throw everything out the window no but if there's like a a, a general groan yeah when something gets revealed like that's, exactly that's no good, that's no good. and it, especially if that general groan isn't because you have a fleet sitting on mechatol and <laughs> those groans are okay got, yeah yeah just the, got got the, revealed the ghosts of Creus groans when any of those wormhole agendas come up is is a valid groan in your opinion mm -hmm. is what you're revealing uh well let's let's talk about let's give an example of one of the new agendas that we've got uh there's one called covert legislation and I'm yes. trying to pull it up right now. Covert legislation is real weird. Uh, this is this is an example of again how crazy. I I feel like we're gonna remark on this a lot, but Dane, you love to push the boundaries of like what could be done in Twilight Imperium. You wanna you want is that like is that like the diplomatic way of saying that I'm a troll? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I feel like this is a running thread in again, our episodes Again, I don't you. know how to take that. <laughs> so covert legislation is a directive. When this agenda is revealed, the speaker draws the next card in the agenda deck, but does not reveal it to the other players. Instead, the speaker reads the eligible outcomes aloud, in parentheses, for, against, elect player. So essentially they are, they are reading what kind of agenda it is. Elect player, for, against elect law, elect uh, planet, which I guess there aren't really any more of those necessarily. Um, there may be, I think there may be... Like one or two or one something. One or two, um, yeah. So once they've done that, the other players vote for these outcomes as if they were outcomes of this agenda without knowing their effects. <laughs> so, like, it could be a for and against and people don't realize they're voting for mutiny and right, give right. someone a point right. and, like, they all vote for and, oops player that's whoever sad. is sitting at nine and now just won the game because covert legislation screwed you all over there are some abilities that may give players additional insight into what is coming next so it is possible that somebody could be uh, at an advantage here additionally the speaker though they can't show it they can lie about it right uh, and Actually, they can be like oh yeah this is mutiny just yeah to yeah get, get people to vote right a certain to way. just do whatever this is an interesting implication we're not going to talk too much about like analysis of like where these things go but this obviously if if politics is what you drew and you put like covert legislation and then well i guess that doesn't matter whatever the, the point being yeah it's interesting <laughs> that people can can dig into the agenda deck and get a little bit more information um mm -hmm. to, to actually do something with that but uh very very oh, yeah. excited for how goofy that is i just like that in the text of this you are forced as the speaker to not reveal something yeah. to the other player <laughs> you are sworn to secrecy by the rules which i love yeah very much 
and I guarantee you, when you play with me and we draw this card, I am going to milk this for all <laughs> it's worth. Okay. <laughs> I apologize to everybody playing, playing with Hunter. Hunter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, just briefly about the objectives, which have fully doubled at all. Fully doubled. Stage ones, stage twos, and secrets doubled, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> yeah. uh, if if you had asked me before seeing all of this and how many uh, possible objectives could be added to this game, I would have assumed like five per. Right, five new stage ones, mm-hmm. five new stage twos, and like five secrets. But holy cow, fully doubled everything. Um, we don't have to like go in depth on any of them, but can can we give like one decent um, objective for an example? I guess secret objectives is where things have have really gone kind of crazy in this one, because um, the publics are generally speaking more of the same kind of things you would expect from a public objective, right? Kind of economic or positional related um, mm-hmm. things. But uh, there, there's a whole new but not tech related, not, not tech. Yeah, yeah. Very. That's a that's actually a really important note. Is is you did kind of fix that. What that's kind of like one of the primary complaints about base game, right? Is is what happened with tech, which there's actually a couple yep. ways you've addressed that problem. But yeah, the the first of which being uh, added ten more of each type of public objective, with none of them being tech. So so tech went from being one fifth of the total public objectives to being like one. 20th i mean very very little of the of the total or i guess one right. 220 so one tenth of the total yeah. uh, uh objectives out there so that that's a huge law lo- uh you know fix i would i would call it um but secret objectives are obviously all over the place but there's an entire new style of secret there's only a couple of them but there are now agenda phase secret objectives in prophecy yeah. of kings um so we've got drive the debate here um, and you you get this agenda when you or a planet you control are elected by an agenda, which that is just juicy as all get out. It's funny that this one happened at the same time you took away a lot of the like meaningless planet agendas because this would have been like a thing that would have been almost too easy to get <laughs> because of those. Sure. So it's it's pretty convenient that those are gone. And now, you know, that's always going to be an extra factor in the back of people's heads is like. Do they want this because they want, you know, the prophecy of Ixth or whatever, or do they want it because this is going to get them a point and you will, you will never know. <laughs> and so. I, I'm super excited for these just because like, it's, it's basically the one thing that I see everywhere. Like the number of times I've read the feedback, yeah. like I don't even care what is in the new expansion. Right. As long as there's new objectives. And the best part for me is reading people suggest, you know, like, come on, at least like a couple new secret objectives and new public objectives. So being able to like give people like a fully doubled yeah. set of, of yeah. objectives is, is, is pretty gratifying for me just because, uh, uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see how that changes the game. It's not going to be the same. Well, and the subtle impact of that too is like right now, because there are only 10 and five get revealed every single game. It's actually quite predictable yep. what your game is going to shape out to look like. And now right. that is not predictable, which used to be, I would say, the kind of defining aspect of Twilight Imperium, which is anything could come up and you got to kind of like go with the punch, you know, roll with the punches and, and, right, and right. change your strategy as the game progresses. But base game turned into sort of like, a well, I know I got to get two and two colors and I got to try to get three upgrades and I got to try to like right, control right. these specific planets. And we, yeah, we can throw all that out. Yeah. All yeah, of that is right. like, who knows? There's 20 total stage ones that could possibly right. come up in this game. You're only going to see a quarter of them. That's not <laughs> very many. And so, yeah, it, it 
This alone changes the entire landscape of the game, I would say. I want to... I want to connect some dots real quick before we move on from this thing. Um, I'm just looking at the, like, we we revealed confounding legal text. We revealed drive the debate. Yeah. Um, I'm imagining a situation where someone has drive the debate, and they're like, I need to get elected. Ooh, I have confounding legal text, so I'll play that in order to mm. get elected. Right. And then they play that. They lay that on the on the table. And, and they're like, ha, 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 I got Drive the Debate. And then they realize they haven't played confounding legal text. They've played confusing legal text. <laughs> and now they can't be the one that's elected. So there's that, you know? Actually, that doesn't make sense because I it's think the messiest confusing, game you would of have all to time. get elected. In, in confusing, right, but that's the point is people will place. 100% because you have done this, Dane, people will make this mistake. People will see yeah. con legal text and go, I got one of them. Yeah. I don't know. You, <laughs> I think I got the right one. I'm good. All I have to say is you are welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> okay, so uh, I want to talk about tech. Um, we could get completely lost in the weeds with new tech. But I think the only way we can do this, Dane, is if you explain to me the general structure of what you have done with the new uh, generic tech that you've introduced. Obviously, every new faction has two faction technologies. There is no, there's not like a third new faction tech for every single um, faction, which to be honest with you, after everything else you've given factions, don't need it. (laughs) Did not need a Mm -hmm. third faction tech on top of all the other faction-specific components they just received in this expansion. But uh, the generic tech, you did something really specific, and and I would say one of the bigger things that I wouldn't have expected um, to see out of this expansion. So the structure for the new tech is that there are eight uh, new generic tech uh, for level zeros and four level ones mm-hmm. so one one of each color in each level gotcha. um and i mean i think the reasoning for that is probably pretty clear um i don't want people to feel locked to a tech path right. you know i want people to research the tech that they want to get um, and have an interesting time getting there. You know, I don't want people to be like, oh, well, I have to take this throwaway tech. Um, so, you know, at each step, there's going to be, you know, options for people. And, right. and you know, that that's a lot of what drove the objective changes as well, not just because Joel Nar was strong, but because the prevalence of tech objectives yeah. was restricting people to... Um, right two certain tech paths because they're just like, well, I need two and two. So I really want this red tech, but I have two green and one yellow. So I need another yellow. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how much those two things combined with each other. Like the fact that uh, tech was just this straight up and down. There are four yellows and you got to get them in order. Um, And the prevalence of the tech objectives like was a huge deciding factor in Sardak Nor being not as good, Jolnar being really good. And so these two little changes, widening the objective pool and giving more options to what people can and want to do within their tech path have completely changed that structure. I, I have no mm-hmm. idea now if Jolnar is like the top tier faction that it was in the base game. It probably sure. isn't. I mean, there's, you know, E-Res Siphon still rules, but in general, like, things have really changed in a way that now tech is not a, just a like kind of boring deciding factor in how good a faction is allowed to be because this game is objective based so that i mean just what what a huge improvement um for the game to now be about what you do above the table and at the table rather than 
did you get the tech you had to get in the amount of time that was allotted five to six rounds hope you did it okay bye yep like that that seems to be kind of out the window now one, one of my favorite examples uh, as far as tech goes from me for the from the past couple months at least is in a game i played the other uh well, i guess the other month now at this point um <laughs> as Cre- as creus um, and and pu- puzzle this one out because I'm not going to go super into depth. Sure. Uh, I think it was round three or four. The techs I had were red, red, green. I had no blue tech as Creus. <laughs> like I literally had no, not no, not no new blue tech, but no blue tech. Period. What? And I had and I had dreadnought two. So dreadnought <laughs> two, red, red, green was was my Creus tech build, and and uh, that being being possible uh, i'm a, familiar a... with a decent amount of the components in this game but i guess i didn't realize that there's a way yeah, to don't lose understand. tech in this game and then yeah. hey, don't worry about it it's fine <laughs> <laughs> you have terrified me in a way i didn't know was possible uh that's awesome let's let's give an example of just like one of the new techs we you know we, we don't have time to like talk about every single new technology but uh, there's a there's a new base yellow. So but this is in it seemingly a uh, replacement for Sarween tools. So at the beginning of the game, if you have no yellow tech, you could start off by getting this tech or Sarween tools. And this is ScanLink Drone Network. When you activate a system, you may explore one planet in that system that contains one or more of your units. So this is a pretty common thread in these new techs is that you had to obviously add a handful of techs that explicitly interact with the new systems that you have put in place. And we're going to talk about exploration in a bit, and and that'll help maybe make this tech make a little bit more sense. But I, I think we wanted to call attention to this tech because this is further evidence of how the exploration system has been widened. People are familiar with Distant Suns from TI3, but one of the primary complaints of Distant Suns is it's super swingy, and also once the planets have been explored, the system ceases to exist. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this tech existing as a base tech, you need no requirements for it. Anybody can get this tech to continue to explore planets all game long. Um, That's huge to me as a person who really, really liked the exploration system from TI3, despite its many, many flaws. Um, This existing here is something to me that says, like, I get to do a completely new way to play. Like, you have literally reintroduced the fourth X back into Twilight Imperium because exploration kind of just didn't exist uh in ti4 and and here it is so i'm super excited about this tech i'm excited about all the tech but just the idea that these things get to exist and help widen people's strategic options um is huge okay so before before we get to exploration um we're kind of we're gonna try and stay in the lane of um additional components to systems that already exist in the game yeah um so one of the things that we're getting that i'm really excited about are more system tiles in general. Yeah, this is huge. Just for me as a person who makes maps for our tournaments, uh, right. after this last tournament, like two years of tournaments, basically we've done, what, like seven maps now um, for tournaments. Yeah. I feel like I have exhausted all of the new ideas. Like you all- weren't going to be able to do it I again. I wasn't going to be able to do it again. So You had run out of gas <laughs> I really and had. Anything else I was going to do was going to be like 
just shuffled up versions of the same thing I had already done. Um, but so now we have a bunch more new systems. Uh, we don't have to go in depth on like what they are, but there's new anomalies, there's new planets. Um, but what's what's great about it, and what I want to applaud you on, Dane, is something that I really desperately wanted, which was for some of the old planets we know and love to come back, but also like we needed new territory. Like we, I, I didn't want to just be recycling all of the new planets from TI three. So there are, you did put in some new, just completely new systems and planets and types of uh, tiles that we've, we've just never seen before. Yeah. Um, I, and it was actually a lot of fun making the, the new systems. That was a, that was a, that was a fun process. Yeah. Um, the, the art on them is ridiculous. Who did the art for the planets? Um, I believe it was Stephen Summers. Okay. Because it's freaking beautiful. There are things like um, Hope's End has made a return. And yep. Hope's End was always a cool planet thematically. But now the art also gets to like match it. Like Hope's End just yeah. looks so cool that I have to get it. I have to go there. Uh, the funny, same goes. Funny story about yeah. that art. Um, so that was actually commissioned as one of the home systems hmm. for a faction that has yet to be revealed. And when I saw it, I went, Oh my God, that's hope's end. Yeah. Wow. And so it, it, all the, the file structure is wrong because it's named something else, which in turn <laughs> caused another planet to be named something else, which in turn caused another planet to be named something else. So there's this whole uh, hilarious uh, file structure issue where <laughs> it's, impossible for anybody other than me and the graphic designer who worked on it um to know <laughs> what what art is actually what when 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 looking for that which has which you didn't, wouldn't think would come up for yeah. any reason once the, they were on the cards but has come up like <laughs> three separate times for various reasons wow. since then that's hilarious i also want to call attention to just while we're talking about art the cormund art Cormund was always the coolest system in ti3 it's the one that exists inside of a gravity rift but holy cow did the artists step up their game in what is happening with Cormund. It is like the coolest planet art I have ever seen. It's literally being like ripped apart by the gravitational pool of the planet. It's just, God, it's so cool. Um, but in addition to just like in general, here's a bunch of new planets and stuff. Uh, you added new types of planets. Not to say new traits. The, the traits are going to be pretty important which we'll talk about in exploration but there is also just a whole new classification of planet which is called legendary planets um hope's end is one of these uh there's a there's like what three other legendary planets and they sort of exist as like a you got planets you have home planets you have mechatol rex but then you also have these legendary planets that not only have their own unique abilities that grant they grant the user when you control them but also there are some things in the game that interact specifically with legendary planets as a kind of concept um yeah so like while objectives. we're while we're talking about hope's end just to give an example of the kind of thing you can expect from legendary planets uh when you get the hope's end planet card you will also get this little ability card um, that goes with Hope's End, and it is called Imperial Arms Vault. And Imperial Arms Vault allows you to, uh, you may exhaust this card at the end of your turn to place one mech from your reinforcements on any planet you control or draw one action card. So this is sort of what, what people probably remember Hope's End as is the planet that granted you shock troopers. And we don't have the horribly messy system of shock troopers here in POK, but you do kind of have that thematic thread of we have mech units again and hope's end is going to help you 
um, very easily and cheaply get yourself new uh, mechs at the front of the line. And and the other legendary plants kind of fall on the same line of like at the end of your turn, get something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and we don't have to kind of sit on that for super long, but there there are what? There's, f- I think, four total legendary planets available. So it's not even something that's going to like be a mainstay of every single game that you play. Although I guess a couple of them kind of do exist as a thing that will generally yep. be available in every single game. I don't know. The way that planets work now is actually fairly um, hard to grab grasp your like head around because in ti3 it was very much like oh man you could accidentally build a map with no wormholes but uh, like exploration and legendary planets and a few other things like make it to where (laughs) mathematically you can always still kind of have everything like everything is still going to be present in the game and that's really impressive to have pulled off because i think for me as someone who pays a lot of attention to like planet traits and how to build maps and all that stuff that was my biggest fear uh, of what we could get from an expansion is like, how are they going to solve the system issue of like, well, when you make it to where a bunch of systems get left out, like you can have really big issues um, in terms of the map balance. But like, I haven't seen or heard from anybody that has seen a game that like was thrown wildly out of balance. Like there's never a time where an objective is impossible to score based on the map just being built wrong. There, yeah. there will even in the you know a three-player game, um, you oh, know, with, sure. with fully random stuff, there will always be at least one legendary planet, mm-hmm. um, and that is because, well, that actually would I think takes us into the next. Yeah, thing. we'll we'll get into exploration, and that's going to be where that goes. Let's finish. No, no, up. The, I, oh, I'm oh talking you're talking. About... Oh yeah, yeah, the wormhole nexus. Let's talk about yes. that. The wormhole nexus is back, baby. Hey, oh. Uh, so Wormhole Nexus was a system tile in TI3 that existed off the board in a similar way to the Creus home system, right? Which is just this crazy little thing that floats. Um, but you kind of radically changed uh, the Wormhole Nexus, even though it's going to feel pretty familiar to TI3. I would say this is um, the only mechanic in the game that people will really, really recognize from TI3. Everything else that is like based on a system from TI3 feels totally different but the wormhole nexus is somewhat familiar territory can you break down how the wormhole nexus um exists yeah so ultimately the wormhole nexus serves as uh the serves the same function as it did in in ti3 it is a a system is off of the board it's got each type of uh wormhole in it so it connects to all the wormholes uh and it contains the planet malice um which is uh, uh as per our previous conversation uh a legendary planet right. with its own, right. which is with with its own effect, and you know because the wormhole nexus will always be in the game, that means that there will always be at least one legendary planet, regardless of if the other three show up or not. Yeah. Um, but the difference in the way that the wormhole nexus works in this uh, version of the game uh, versus TI three is that the wormhole nexus will start only being connected to the gamma wormholes, which there will be none on the board during right. setup. Which so worth noting, order... that's a new wormhole. That's the, we don't yep. we didn't have gammas before, but now gammas exist. But yeah, like you were saying, and, and and go on. There there aren't any gammas to start off with. Yeah, there are no gammas to start off with. So the gamma wormholes will show up as a result of exploration or other game effects that I won't mention, but um, they will appear through the course of the game, and that is one of the only ways to get to the wormhole nexus right. 
That's like um, the key to unlock the Nexus. And then once you've unlocked the Nexus, you flip the whole tile over, and that is what then also reveals the Alpha and Beta wormhole. And now you have a tile that connects to Gammas, Alphas, and Betas all together. Correct. Yep. That's crazy. And so that's this. So that not only have you introduced the guarantee that a legendary planet will always be in the game, but also as many people as possible will have access to it versus like, Oh, hope's end happened to exist on that one side of the galaxy. Too bad. The person on the opposite side of the table will just basically have the most difficult time ever getting to it because malice exists as a thing connected to all wormholes. More or less, everybody has at least decent access to it, which is kind of just Mm -hmm. in a balance perspective, pretty brilliant. Um, super exciting. Um, the it last... also means no wormhole tile will ever be dead. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was a big problem in TI3. We actually homebrewed it to where we always left in all four wormholes just because we got so tired of seeing dead uh, dead wormholes. Um, but yeah, now now it's that's, that's just not the case. The last thing to bring up with new tiles is uh, I the biggest and boldest thing that you have done, I would say, in this expansion is introduce hyperlane tiles, which... I guess we need to back up the script a little bit of where hyperlanes came from. Cause there's a, there was almost, I think it, it, within the community, there's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario of people aren't really sure where hyperlanes came from, but that was a fantasy flight addition, right? Near as I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a web document we released of a more uh, balanced five player map, right. uh, I believe. And there were connections drawn between um, the systems right. uh, such that, you know, everybody kind of had a, a more fair. Uh, Essentially it made it to where a five player game could have the exact same feeling of a six player game where you have two systems between you and each neighbor and two systems between you and Mechatol Rex. And it's just that same. You basically were able to take the pie slice of one player and squish it together in TI three. They did it through use of like a bunch of wormhole tokens. And it actually kind of screwed up like ghost of Creus and in general screwed up wormholes. But then people started to homebrew it a little bit to just make little tiles that they would put in there that would, would draw that connection for you. You've taken that an extra step further because you have introduced nine double-sided hyperlanes tiles is there any way you can explain what that means and why that exists yeah um well most interesting to me that just gives people who like to make cool maps a lot of options yeah um, for for a connection uh it lets people do the the standard uh, five player um uh map setup with with the hyperlanes yeah. um but uh, the the configurations of them are also such that they can be used to similar effect on um, seven and eight player maps, uh, which have uh, similar balance issues right. in terms of player positioning. Yeah, yeah. So you can turn, in the same way you can turn the five player game into the six player hexagon, you can take a seven or eight player game and with the right uh, hyperlane configuration, which is available in the rulebook. It's kind of a complicated process to get to it being like as minimal as it is, but it turns everybody, even in an eight player game, it turns it into this kind of like oblong galaxy, but the way it functions by using those hyperlanes is still that everybody has the same thing. Two two systems on the way to you and your neighbors and two systems on the way to Mechatorex, and you have two equidistance between you and each neighbor. All of that still exists. Basically, the hyperlane tiles are tiles that 
you never put units on. They are little like jumping pads to connect to what otherwise wouldn't be adjacent tiles to each other. So just a super cool thing to have exist in the game. Not only for these like it's something that the like hyper balanced folks get to use, but like you said, you also get to just make really wackadoodle stupid galaxies if you want to. Like if you just wanted to like start making really crazy shapes, I think most people know them as um, Star by Star. It was like a Shattered Ascension fan expansion thing, but people liked making really crazy shaped galaxies, and the Hyperlanes makes that like doubly possible in a way that we've just never seen before in an official release for TI. I'm excited for a game type where, like, you deal out a, a hyperlane to everybody during setup and, part just, of their and, and just be like, ooh, come on, place this wherever you want. Make that weird connection. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. I can't wait for a Mechatol Rex to be isolated in the center of the right. galaxy. <laughs> literally impossible to get to. Um, okay. so Actually, I, Krius could still get there. Right. Uh, so That's it. <laughs> Krius only, as Dane intended. Uh, yep, that's so, right. Now we can actually get in. This has all been the more of the same section. Now we have to transition into totally new stuff to this expansion. Uh, what what is the like the completely new systems? And again, some of this stuff is mildly familiar to things people recognize as optional rules in TI three and maybe even as far back as like TI two to a certain extent. But it is worth noting that all of these systems are fully different like total redesigns not at all operating the same but just um introducing that same thematic element that the old systems were supposed to my, my basic way to put it is if you ever liked the idea of a system in ti3 but hated its implementation guess what <laughs> it got fixed here it is it's like the good the way that it was done good uh so to start off with is exploration which um old fans will remember as being called distant suns but i'm glad you didn't call it distant suns again so that people are able to at least separate that a bit it's it is just the exploration system uh in general so dane can you walk me through how exploration works in ti4 prophecy of Kings? yeah so um as people have kind of surmised and assumed uh, since the release of the, the right. core, exploration will be done by trait, planet trait. So uh, when you when you gain control of a of a planet from from the deck, you'll uh, you'll end up drawing a card from the hazardous cultural or um, industrial deck and resolving an effect on it. Uh, and the effects within each deck, um, like you'll you'll kind of know. Uh, generally, what sort of thing you could find. Right, they have different styles, right? Hazardous, like you can expect to see hazardous things happen, right? There's a lot of things of like, oh, you could you could give up, you could kill an infantry to gain the effect of this card because it's a hazardous planet. Someone, you know, somebody died in the exploration of uncovering these things versus yeah, cultural, can, you have well, to like me... use your influence to sway the people of this planet to then gain a thing. Yeah, let, let me address one thing that I know is really common um, complaint about uh, specifically that kind of effect um, yeah. from the TI3 version is that one thing that was horrible was landing and losing um, all your right. your units or whatever. There was a distant sun token that was just like, oh, it's a supernova. Guess everything is dead. <laughs> ha ha, got yep. you, idiot. <laughs> So nothing bad is going to happen to you um, when you're um, exploring. And uh, likewise, um, nothing 
insane is going to happen to you that is so wildly unexpected right. that it's going to throw your entire game. Maybe there's some situation that could be engineered where the perfect storm, but it's going to be fairly predictable. So the 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 template for hazard specifically is that um, you will be faced with a choice for the the the, the classic hazard cards um, where you either where you can sacrifice an infantry to gain the effect of the card or not. Um, alternatively, for hazard, hazardous planets, if you are landing with one of the mech units, um, you can get that effect without sacrificing right. the infantry, and that's kind of the template for for all the hazardous cards. And the the industrial cards will have something similar. Yeah, like yeah. like they have a template where you kind of know um, what to what expect. to expect. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so what's what's great about all of that is just in general, like you said, the idea that there's not this, it's, there's not a huge swing to exploration, which n never made sense in the first place. Like thematically, it didn't make sense that like I would land on this planet and then the planet would explode into a supernova. Like that never made <laughs> thematic sense. So now it is literally, oh, I uncovered this little thing on the planet that helps me. Um, part of that too is what we ended up throwing out distant suns tokens in TI3, but what we never threw out was what was called the final frontier system. Uh, and you have incorporated these things called frontier tokens. And there is a fourth deck of these exploration cards that are the that, that are in, tied with that frontier system. So instead of exploring planets, you can also explore empty space. Or what I think is even cooler about the system is it's not just like specifically empty space tiles, but it's any tile without a planet. So you're able to explore things mm. like asteroid fields and empty nebulas and anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and, and supernovas and supernovas, and depending supernovas. on your access to getting inside of that supernova. Yeah, it's yes. there's one there. Um, so it's it's this system that kind of kind of works for everybody. Um, Dane, can we say that there are two factions that do interact with the system kind of ex explicitly without revealing them? But just yeah, to say like there say are that. two factions that that really, really heavily interact with this uh, system and, and they're two they're, honestly they're the two factions I'm personally the most excited about so I can't wait for people to to uncover those but like the exploration system is just in general the thing that I am most excited for because it's the kind of thing I've wanted in TI which is to say like yeah I like negotiating yeah I like taking planets but what I really want to do is to just focus on exploring the planets and and making that a venue to get points so I think it's worth talking about um, the other sort of mini game that exists within the exploration system, which is as part of the decks, you've got all these abilities that you've been referencing where it's like, oh, and I, I could uh, sacrifice an infantry and gain an ability or I can uh, do whatever happens on industrial planets or on cultural planets. Um, or sometimes in each deck, you uncover what is called a relic fragment. Um, and what do you do with these relic fragments? So, yep, the second type of card you could get from ex exploring um, is a relic fragment, and they are specific to the planet trait. So there are hazardous relic fragments, there are industrial relic fragments, and there are cultural. And if you manage to acquire three of the same type via exploration or you know, trading with your neighbors, um, you can you do an action that puts the relic fragments together and you get to to, to gain uh, a random relic. So relics are a new type of card and this is where we see 
um, honestly, a decent amount, even before this, the agendas we talked about earlier that got pulled from the agenda deck, they've all kind of been incorporated into this exploration system. So a bunch of the abilities um, that you gain from planets are the things like, oh, you gain a plus two on this planet, or you gain a yellow tech specialty or whatever. Um, but then the other big things uh, have become these relics that you you essentially craft. Um, so something like uh, what Shard of the Throne is a very well-known agenda where the people vote and one person ends up with a point, and if you attack that person, you get that point. You have taken Shard of the Throne and pulled it from the agenda deck and turned it into a relic now. So now people turn their relics into the Shard of the Throne, right? Yep. So uh, similar to that, there's so obviously there's there's uh, relics that are just worth points, but there are um, other types of crazy relics. Uh, a good example of one is we have this thing called the Dominus Orb, uh, is a relic that you can game, uh, and and its ability reads as thus: Before you move units during a tactical action, you may purge this card to move and transport units that are in systems that contain one of your command tokens. <laughs> so this relic lets you break like the most basic function. The, big, the, the, the first rule you learned. <laughs> so uh, let, let's let's be clear though, uh, because that used some language that isn't uh, part of true. the core game. Um, it's not as broken as it sounds um, no. because you can only do this one time right purging is a new kind of mechanic that we we have to become familiar with and that's it's a new word it's a new word we need to know uh and it's it's throwing that card out of the game but yeah this is a one-time use ability where you can activate stuff despite whether or not you've previously activated it. uh would you say all of the relics are like on this scale or i mean th it seems like a thing where it actually it it takes some time to do right you need three of the same type like the same trait of uh of relic yep. to put a relic fragment to get a relic. So they, they feel like fairly lofty goals. Um, do yeah. So there's kind of three, three types. I would say there's that type. There's like that single use flashy effect, break some rule, do something crazy. There is, uh, the type that is reusable, but significantly less, uh, exhilarating, I suppose. Um, and then there's the the type where there's a victory point involved, right. but those will always have some kind of process attached to them. Right. You know, shards of the throne being example. You, you know, it's a hot potato point. I have a question about the relics, uh, and and you may I, I may just be dumb, but the the relics after you discover them, they're they're going to sit on the planets that you discovered them on, correct? No nope. or no? no? No, they're going to sit in in your. Um, in your, your, in your you mentioned this earlier of it's a thing you can trade too so this is a just an object that gets to be a part of a transaction so you might see somebody sitting on a single cultural fragment with nothing to do with it and their buddy across the table is sitting on two and might be fetching a oh high boy. price to buy your third so that they can get a random relic from the relic deck so there's there's this more stuff to trade, yeah exactly huh? more stuff to buy and sell and trade which is we're about to get into way, way, way more of that idea of, uh, Dane, you have turned trading into just a constant, absolute constant variable. Everybody's a con now. That? You did that, Dane. <laughs> <laughs> before, before we talk about that, which is 
the leader system, let's let's get mech units out of the way. Um, mech units are something people will be decently familiar with from TI3, except for mech units in TI3 were a generic unit that was uh, completely broken because the rules were written bad <laughs> in TI3. Uh, they weren't targeted by, like, ground force stuff. But this is another thing where I think people saw the the message in the tea leaves where you you made ground forces like a specific designation of a type of unit but then only made infantry and so i was like mm -hmm. okay there's going to be more of those i feel like and so now mech units get to fall under that category but what's really cool about mech units is they are sort of like ground force flagships because every single one of them has a unique ability you have four of them just like you did in tier three so there's four that so they're not as crazy as like an individual flagship but because you have four of them you can sometimes stack their effects or sometimes it's powerful to spread their effects out um it turns the game into this weird little territory base like where are your mechs and how does that impact what else is happening around the table um so yeah. I, I yeah what, what's your thinking behind kind of the new the new mech unit and why you decided to make it like a faction this is the thing yeah. that feels the most like the replacement for a third faction tech you were like why don't i just give everybody a faction basic unit and there's a, there's a reason for that um and the reason is is that i love faction specific stuff um i think to me that's the most interesting part of the game yeah. is like the faction you're playing and and how cool it is and, and I wanted to add more faction tech, but what I found was that adding more faction tech only meant that other faction tech wasn't researched. Right. Um, and, and that's the thing about researching tech is that it's a, it's a very limited resource and it's oftentimes objective related. Mm -hmm. um, and because you need to get certain things further in the tree, you're limited on what you can take. And, and honestly, I didn't want to lock cool new faction right. stuff behind that system so it's kind of an ongoing thing with the expansion is that the the cool new faction stuff you're gonna be able to get it right without away. yeah without sacrificing other parts of your game yeah it's really so, a perfect balance of that of you've opened up the tech system and not added any things that restrict that tech system by it being new tech it's just like Here's a bunch of new abilities. Here's a bunch of new tech to keep your things open. What it what it all culminates in feeling like is the idea that like my options are endless. Sometimes in an almost overwhelming way, which I think we'll get to when we talk really about leaders. But but mechs are a good uh, seed to plant that of like not not overwhelming in a negative way, but an overwhelming of like every turn. I'm like there are so many ways I could do this turn and so many surprises I could pull on the rest of my opponents that they won't see coming because I can, this interacts with this action card or this interacts with this agenda in a weird way that people won't see coming. Um, and so um, maybe we can give a couple mechs as an example um, just to, to help people understand like what these things are kind of doing. The general rule of the mechs is that they cost two resources for a single unit. So they're basically four times as expensive as a normal infantry. They have sustained damage and they have a combat value of a six, a single six die roll, um, which is a huge improvement over the TI-3 mechs, which rolled, what, two on a six or two on a five or something? They were just like, mechs were ridiculous. Um, these are ridiculous in way more interesting and fun ways. Um, let's let's get one other way, which is the Winu mech, um, because I think people in general will have... Uh, one of the bigger things people want out of this expansion is a general balancing of the factions, right? We already talked about how Jolnar has kind of been taken down a peg because the tech system has been sort of streamlined. 
Um, but things like Winu had this huge issue of, ah, hey, you only get to do like one thing. Mechatol is, you know, do or die, and you don't have the fleet to start. You know, you just don't have the tools in your arsenal to really pull yourself up. So Winu is just heavily regarded as the worst faction. So um, Winu's mech is called the Reclaimer, and it is after you resolve a tactical action during which you gain control of this planet, this planet meaning the planet that the mech is now on, you mm -hmm. may place one PDS or one space dock from your reinforcements on this planet. Uh, people will recognize that as essentially the same text of what Winu is able to do when they take Mechatol Rex. But now it's, if you have mechs, you get to do that same thing. You're just really good at dropping space docks and PDS wherever you want them to be. So there's this huge incentive now for Winu to get mechs so that they can do that same kind of crazy, suddenly I heavily control this system. Uh, but I'm doing it with a mech and my new space stock that then next round I'm going to build a bunch of stuff out of. So big boost uh, for Winu, I would say. Yeah, I'm really excited to see uh, how how that ability... And, and also I think it's interesting that that ability, um, it feels very Winu, even though it isn't associated with Mechatol Rex. Right. Like the fact that you pulled like just like kind of the opposite idea of like, oh, the Winu are like, I guess... I wonder what's happening there. Like is the the mech unit taking old uh hidden space stocks that already existed there or is it just like a building like a construction unit that also like attacks well things? yeah the, the winu just they feel like they they own everything right so yeah. yeah it's the reclaimer <laughs> they end up on this planet and let's say there's like one winaran guy that happens to be hanging out on lodor and they're like ah see we've been here all along this is our right, land yeah. <laughs> this this is mine now i made this yeah <laughs> Uh, one other example, just to kind of get into it, uh, we, you know, we haven't been talking about the, the new factions a ton yet, but just to give you another example of what mechs are capable of, the Argent Flight, which are this new faction that are very um, kind of space combat. They have, a, they have a unique destroyer. They're, they're very, I would say, they're the most obvious warlike faction um, of the expansion. Uh, they have mechs that are this, that's the Airy Sentinel. This unit does not count against capacity if it is being transported or if in a space area with one or more of your ships that have capacity values. Basically, it's a little flying infantry. It's a flying ground force that doesn't have to... Mm -hmm. It gets to just come along. It's almost like the Nalu hybrid crystal fighters, except for even better. Obviously, you only have four of them, um, but just these little these little birds that fly along with your with your ships. And that's what they are, just little birds. Little birds. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know anything. Mechs are, are conveniently, I would say, simple in in terms of uh, what they are. It's it's all the complexity is what each individual one does to the rest of the table there are some that do some pretty crazy things uh, that people have to like you know the ghost yeah, one i know is crazy uh th they're not always combat related right. you know they're 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 you know the winu one i mean that's that's kind of control and economic related right. uh, the the mm. argent one is combat related but the ghost one certainly yeah. isn't uh, and there there are a number that aren't when when stuff about prophecy of kings was being leaked and you started to see people you know there was like a cell sheet or whatever that was kind of out mm -hmm. there in the in the ether um uh, people saw that there were a bunch of faction specific mechs that was something that was kind of called attention to and i remember seeing people say how could if, if mechs are this ground force how could you possibly come up with 24 unique abilities that affect ground combat and the answer to that question is well a lot of the abilities don't affect ground combat they affect 
just board presence at large, like in general things on the table. And that's the yeah. way to think about mechs. It's like, it's not, it's not a thing that I now get to do in ground combat. It is a way that my territory control has shifted in a, in a unique and um, notable way. Yeah. In, in general, that those leaks were interesting because they made things appear a certain way like as right. but they, they they it's it's like oh it's it's the leaders are bad yeah right it was the names it, of it things said, people recognized but with just no, enough to yeah. give no information about <laughs> about how how it was implemented and i you know there's there's not really any clues there either with the with the sole exception of the mechs they 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 did say for each faction right. uh, which which people actually ended up taking as a uh, proof that the expansion was not real was fake yeah uh speaking of uh things that the the cell sheet uh poorly portrayed uh it mentioned leaders um but these are n by a pretty huge margin not your ti3 leaders ti3 leaders were a thing in the ti3 base game uh where you had five generic types of leaders and every faction had specific one you know i might have an admiral and a spy and you might have a scientist and a general or whatever uh yep. and you have thrown that out completely i i wanted to see if you could talk about like i, I think this is going to be the system that people have maybe the most difficulty wrapping their heads around um like in how and why it was implemented i think there were lots of predictions that you would see leaders be unique units on the map um, mm -hmm. I think there was people who thought it would be similar to what you saw in TI3, but these are like basically just cards that are new abilities. Can you walk through like what the design process for leaders was? Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, I of course wanted them to be faction specific. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of how the TI3 ones were generic. Um, I also wasn't a fan of how each of the five uh, leader types had like, oh, it's like, gosh, between like two and five or two and seven abilities right. that you had to reference from from the the book that, that they were all used in different ways. Um, and, and so with with that in mind, I wanted each each faction to have um, three three unique leaders. So really, the only thing uh, that is reminiscent of TI3 leaders is the theme and occasionally the names of the leaders are, uh, you know, if you ever looked at the little tokens you had in TI3, right. uh, you'll see some familiar names. Um, but the the process kind of went, you know, I wanted them to be faction specific. I wanted them to be able to interact with the table in some way beyond this is just another faction ability. Um, and um, throughout testing, I kind of realized that I didn't want all of the leaders to become available immediately at the start of the game. Right. It's too many abilities to just grant everyone all at once, all at it, once. It, which is, yep. which is very, very overwhelming. Um, so yeah, what let's kind of walk through then there are three types of leaders that every single faction has you have one or in today's case three agents uh you have one commander and you have one hero the only thing you actually start the game with though are the the agents um, which That's is just like the most basic idea of uh of what a leader can do except 
agents are really specific uh, in how they how they operate. Um, yep. Can you explain kind of the the core philosophy behind? So the the core philosophy of an agent is that it is an exhaustible ability um, that does something thematic to your faction, uh, but the way that it can be used can be used to benefit not just you, but can be used to benefit somebody else. So th theoretically, uh, you have an agent that somebody else wants the to use the ability of. You guys could negotiate a deal uh, to for you to l lend them the use of that agent. Right. Right. The best example we have of this is uh, similar to us talking about Winu, the Arborek have this agent named Latani Osfa um, and their ability. This is how it's worded. And you'll kind of get to understand like what we're talking about in it being kind of like a universal use thing. Action. Exhaust this card and choose a player's non-fighter ship. That player may replace that ship with one from their reinforcements that costs up to two more than the replaced ship. So you can use this ability on yourself, but if someone is willing to pay enough, you can use this ability on your turn and make someone else do that ability. So if someone else comes to you and desperately needs a new carrier, you can help them turn some other ship into a carrier. Um, but yep. obviously this is a huge boon to Arborex early game where they notably only have one carrier and could really stand to have a second one. You can just on your turn upgrade one of your units into a carrier and get your round one expansion to be uh, significantly better. And maybe you never will use it on another person. Right. And that's okay. That's In that option. case, you can treat it like another another faction tech. Right. But I wanted people to have that option. Also worth noting about the Arborek one is that it is fairly unique in that it is an action uh the vast overwhelming majority of right uh, agents are actually not actions just uh, things that are. happen within your turn yeah that would be quite a bit of stalls i would say generally speaking there's a there's a sense in this expansion that we see a decent amount a, amount of more actions at large uh not to an overwhelming degree, but it, it certainly has sort of changed the scope of something like Asarl, who was like very specifically known for stalling. A lot of mm -hmm. other factions have kind of a new uh, uh, access to the ability to stall. Maybe still not to the extent that Asarl can, because Asarl just like has that. But there is yep. there is a little bit of like, eh, some factions can get away with like a decent amount of of stalling other people out. Uh, so the next type is the commander type, and I want to read you. An example commander from uh, from my favorite and best faction, <laughs> uh, the Sardak Noor. Uh, this guy's name is Jihom <laughs> Sekus. Um, you could also call him Gahom Sekus. If you um, were being boring. You could call him Jihomie Sekus. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, this one reads, during the commit ground forces step, you can commit up to one ground force from each planet in the active system and each planet in adjacent systems that do not contain one of your command tokens. It's like a it's it's like a dog pile abil wow. ability. Yeah. It's a, everybody get in here. Let's <laughs> let's pound. Wow. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's it's important to note um, that commanders always come with an unlock step. Like you said, these are not available from the beginning of the game. So this ability seems yeah. really crazy, uh, but it is at least held back by the idea that you do not get Gomsekus until you have uh, unlocked 
the uh, you'll flip the card over when you control five planets in non-home nice. systems. So you have already had you will have had to have done some decent expansion um, in order. You know, it might be round two or three before you're at all able to to pull this off. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Before the errata comes in, I know you could probably pull it off round one if you had the right slice. Get whatever, out of my butt. whatever. Uh, <laughs> but we have any weird. We haven't even started playing with this yet. <laughs> Uh, but this one's wild, and the important thing to note about commanders is, so agents are all worded in such a way where, like, you can kind of grant that ability to anybody. But uh, commanders are, generally speaking, or are they all passive abilities, right? It's, ne- it's so, never like an action that you exhaust. Yeah, commanders are all passive. Um, they're, they're all passive, and their unlocks are all faction-specific, um, which is actually something that... Uh, I saw a lot of prediction pre-expansion that there would be faction-specific objectives, and right. while they those didn't manifest themselves in um, terms of victory points and objectives, they did manifest themselves in terms of right. uh, these are effectively faction-specific objectives. Which that is grant a cool... You- addition which is that it i actually love that it doesn't directly feed into points generation but instead feeds into like i get to unlock the potential of my faction even further by doing what my faction is generally speaking naturally good at all of the objectives really play in line with like what you are probably doing as your faction anyways yep um but that passive ability is something that you have but also there is a fifth generic promissory note that you have put into the game called an alliance and the alliance reads as when you receive this card if you are not the blank color player you must place it face up in your play area so similar to um support for the thrones reading as soon as you get it you put it face up now you can't trade it anymore while this card is in your play area you can use the player you received it from in this I'm, i'm reading the orange card you can use the orange player's commander ability if it is unlocked if you activate a system that contains one or more of the orange player's units, return this card to the orange player. So the similar uh, issue of if you activate their stuff, you're going to lose this. But someone else, one individual, can gain the ability of Gom Secus in the game because Sardak Nor is able to hand out their alliance card. And that would mean two players at this table are able to just pull their ground forces from random planets without having to transport them. Yep. Which is disgusting. So uh, <laughs> ima- imagine that. Uh... <laughs> Imagine well, that with, with like Arborek. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's gross. Um, so the last type of uh, of our leaders here is the kind of most extreme leader, and uh, it is called a hero. And those heroes all have a global unlock, um, uh, which, or, or a, a universal unlock, I guess maybe I should call it, which is to say everybody does them by doing the same exact thing. Once you have... Uh, scored three objectives which is really notably different from like have three points it's three specific secret or public objectives Uh, you get to unlock your hero Uh, and the heroes similar to what we talked about earlier that dominus orb all have purge abilities so heroes are always one-time use abilities essentially Mm -hmm. i guess you recruit this hero and always have them sacrifice themselves in some sort of crazy grand manner because all of the hero well, abilities i don't know about sacrifice i think themselves. so i think i think <laughs> they are all... i don't think they die but, but whatever they're whatever they're doing maybe i never a, get to use them again in my head they're time. dead <laughs> all right uh the best example of this and what it feels like these are based off of um is uh like the muats 
um, ability people will recognize, which is called Nova Seed. This used to be a faction tech for the Muat, uh, which is a one-time use faction tech, but now it is their hero. Um, so after you've scored three objectives as the Muat, after you move a War Sun into a non-home system other than Mechatol Rex, you may destroy all other players' units in that system and replace that system tile with the Muat Supernova tile. If you do, purge this card and each planet card that corresponds to the replaced system tile. So you you completely destroy an entire tile on the game and turn it into a supernova, which That's people right. will somewhat recognize that from TI3 but is in a new form, but they all all of the heroes have this kind of like oh no, we let them do that thing. Like now, you know, the whole game is going to be completely torn asunder <laughs> because this huge crazy ability just took place. Um, yeah. Where do you, where would you say the Muat ability ranks in terms of like absolute craziness of like what all of the different heroes can do? I, I've seen I've seen some pretty pretty scary Muat uh, hero plays. Where I think it would rank, <laughs> uh, let's say uh, upper twenty fifth percentile. Yeah. I, I would. Uh, I'm gonna add to that upper twenty fifth percentile the Ghosts of Creuses. Uh, <laughs> hero a personal favorite a per of course it is <laughs> naturally uh the, when you unlock the ghost hero it's called singularity reactor and notably if you've been watching space cats peace turtles for a long time this actually used to be what we used to call an audience agenda and you have uh without knowing it dane turned one of our worst ideas <laughs> into an, <laughs> an ability in the board game officially uh so the ghost gets you as an action swap the positions of any two systems that contain wormholes or your units, uh, other than the Creus system and the wormhole nexus, then purge this card. So take two normal hex systems on the table. This includes Mechatol Rex, right? Uh-huh. It, it absolutely <laughs> does include Mechatol Rex. So if you ever felt like having your home system adjacent to Mechatol Rex, <laughs> that is not possible. That's so great. Uh, you yeah, know, I think great. I think my favorite use of Singularity Reactor uh, during testing um, it was actually perpetrated by somebody that wasn't me, but there was a seven. It was a it was like a seven fleet, a seven size fleet necro swarm. Oh no! One space away from the ghost home system, <laughs> uh, or one one space away from the 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 uh, ghost gate. gate yeah and and it was in a system with a ghost wormhole and they swapped it next to somebody else's home system where they had a destroyer <laughs> and then removed the wormhole token so that there was no way there was no way for the for the the uh, necro fleet to get back and the necro fleet was just like well i'm already here and just <laughs> went, went in on the other player's home system oh, that's so no great. definitely my favorite singularity reactor you moment today turned this game great. into calvin ball in the greatest way <laughs> <laughs> i have i have kind of a boring question that's just kind of system related but yeah. uh do you can you unlock your hero before you unlock your commander yeah they, you, or... you can yep okay totally cool, cool. The, the and the difficulty of the commanders varies pretty significantly based on what the effect of the commander is and mm. what the faction is um you know i i've seen games where people don't unlock their their um uh, commanders either because they weren't in the position to or 
they didn't feel like in this game it was going to help them enough to right. go out of their go way to path. Yeah. spend resources for it. But everybody typically will, you know, get their their uh, hero at some point or another, right. barring yeah. barring really extreme. Boy, you cases. hope you would. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Uh, okay. Well, that so that kind of concludes the like system overview of everything everything that's in this expansion so before we reveal what the fourth of seven factions available in prophecy of kings is i don't know dane is there anything you feel like has been left out in terms of just like systemic things you wanted to introduce ways you balance these things against each other like just what were your goals in this expansion and what were you trying to do to twilight imperium you know um I don't think we left anything out uh, systemically. I think as far as what I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to make the factions pop out more. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to give players more abilities. Uh, I wanted to give players uh, enough stuff that the game wouldn't feel, you know, solved. fully used and experienced yeah. Yeah, and solved. Um, for for a long time yet to come. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it took us two years basically to get to a point where it felt like, yep, everybody knows two and two is a thing, and you know to do this with this faction, and the the you know like the Discord communities out there are very rigid in what they decide is like an acceptable strategy, and it feels like with this expansion, with the amount of stuff and the, the amount of crossover that stuff has. Like, now you have an, an agent that could interact with a faction-specific technology that interacts with a commander that interacts with an action card in such a specific way that unlocks this ability to cling to Kingslay, you know, the, the Muat player in such a way that, like, all of those things, there's now a million possibilities. I can't imagine we get to a point where this game is solved in any in any way or if if we do i mean it would literally be five plus years of constant play to see this get to like a a rigid structure i mean on honestly i think you releasing the expansion is going to fundamentally even just change the structure of hunters and eyes show <laughs> like we don't get sure. to talk about factions in the same like we've been doing we've been kind of finishing up um faction guides for for base game factions i don't see how we can do a faction guide going forward because there's too many conditions now now it's like let's talk about a commander based yellow extra but that's not the only way to play extra we can also next week talk about the agent focused red extra or whatever like you know what i mean there, there's just no longer a sense of there is definitely one best way to play an individual faction which i think is um huge for the community yeah, and and you know, I I'm under no illusions that that is going to be for everybody, and that is okay. Right. Like, uh, there's going to be a lot to absorb in this, and and I hope that, and I think that's something everybody's going to have to accept going into the you know all these all these practically professional TI players, even compared to me. Like, right. you know, I'm not like they they there's they're going to be literally hundreds of new abilities to take into account yeah. and one thing i've actually noticed that was that has been really interesting was that the very experienced players have had a much harder time dealing <laughs> than 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 a new player right like, brand new players like oh cool like i have an agent i can use it yeah. to <laughs> 
they're like neat and then where you then you look over at you know this guy who's played 50 games and he's like oh my god oh my god I could do oh this my and god. then this and then this and then this and this and this oh i better do this before i do this oh god i'm lo-. like they'll just completely lock themselves out of their own brain <laughs> exactly and 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 then everybody who approaches this expansion is going to go through that and and they're it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting and yeah and i'm excited um I, I really am excited for that. Hunter, what's what's your vibe? Like, what's your takeaway from just, like, everything you've seen? I think you, Dude, of, you, you have interacted with it less, right? I, I have played oh, a yeah, couple yeah. games of this. You intentionally kind of invo- avoided information about all yeah. of this uh, so that you could okay. kind of come at it with a clean slate. I'm curious what your vibe is on everything you're starting I'm to g- see. I'm going to use an analogy. Okay. I'm going to say that the TI4, and this might not track with anybody except for me, which (laughs) that's perfect. Um, I'm going to say TI4 base game feels like an American city, you know? Like, I want to go there. It's fun. It's, it's cool. But I kind of know, I kind of know what to expect and it's, it's, it's home. I feel like the POK expansion is like an extravagant European city. (laughs) that I'm going to fly across the ocean to get to and feel lost in the whole time. And who knows what I'll find this time. I don't like, speak that's the language. That's kind of my feeling of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if if TI4 base game is Dallas, then, then, then POK expansion is Amsterdam. <laughs> Wow. I'm glad that you is, pulled uh, Dallas out of your butt because there's that specific meme of the of yeah. The oh, yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's Dallas, purpose, baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's time, I think, to reveal the fourth of seven factions. Uh, we've talked about the Mahakt uh, gene sorcerers, as they're known by this thing, but but previous fans will know them as the Mahakt kings. Uh, there's the Titans of Ul. There's the Argent Flight. And today, uh, we're super... Super happy to get to, uh, first off, Dane, thanks for letting us do this uh, because this rules and this has been a very fun episode. Uh, Absolutely. But we get to talk about uh, what is, I would say, thematically the coolest faction, like the one I am most excited about just just based on the theme. And that is a, a I guess we call it a faction, but it is a person known as <laughs> the nomad this is just a, this is a person that exists and apparently controls lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff uh so uh dane walk me through who the nomad is or if you're even All capable right. of doing so that. <laughs> let me preface one thing about the nomad and the thing about the nomad is everything i'm about to say is Theoretically, this is what <laughs> what what is what the nomad is because the the truth is is that nobody actually knows for sure. This is who are the who nomad, the is, nomad the is the Pulp Fiction suitcase, right? It, yes, <laughs> yes. Nobody knows who or what the nomad is. Nobody knows if what they're saying is true. Uh-huh. There's theories, uh, but everything that people try to find out about the nomad is it one person? Is it? Uh, you know, a hundred people that all look the same. Certainly, the Nomad pops up around the galaxy distances that are impossible for one person tr- to traverse. So it's got to be more than one person. And the, and but, Dane, Dane, you, I want to. I just want to call attention to how ridiculous you sound because you're saying all this, but this is this is inside your brain. You put this in the game. I, I know, you have I know, to know, I know what it is. You I know what it is. 
but I'm not telling. Okay. I'm only I'm only telling what the nomad what the says nomad says. Right. What the nomad says it is. Great. Um and uh so the nomad appeared uh, about the the same time um maybe I think it was just like a couple weeks before uh the Mahakt and they kind of appeared with a warning and they appeared with a lot of money and very quickly navigated themselves into a position of power. Note that they are, they are not a you know sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. They are just a person with with a colossal amount of funding <laughs> that they seem to be able to pull out of thin air. Um, and people who t- try to track where that money comes from just end up going down these endless chains of well, it came from here, which came from here, which came from here, which came from here, and half the time ends up you know looping back around. Like th- there's there's this uh, there's a, there's a huge mystery surrounding the nomad, um, and so the nomad's home system uh, s- some may recognize uh, as the Arcturus Sumerian system from. Um, TI three, mm-hmm. which was one of the ones with the the space stations. So, their home planet is Arcturus, and you can see the Arcturus has uh, in the art has a Sumerian around it. And so, uh, basically, one day, uh, one of the nomads' five generals uh, showed up, and uh, within you know a couple days or weeks or whatever, they somehow managed to depose the previous station master uh, owned the station and all the trade routes uh, <laughs> that 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 uh, you know were involved in Sumerian and it's mine suddenly, now <laughs> sun, sun, suddenly had this huge cash flow wow. um you know giant mercenary fleets you know cuz cuz the nomad isn't a, isn't isn't a, a species like it's it's and and the the nomads uh the nomads fleets and and armies they're all mercenaries bought and paid um, for Right. Bought and paid for. Yep. Hmm. Wow. Um, um, and, and so, did, did we talk about like the extent to which like they are are or are not from the future? And... Yeah. So that is their claim. <laughs> so the, the the nomad claims to be from the future, and they claim to be in in the present uh, to prevent that future from happening. And with <laughs> with the nomad, the nomad brought five others collectively known as the company, okay. and they are the nomad's generals. Wow. Um, and they come from a a variety of, of other factions. So um, there is uh, Navark Feng. Uh, mm-hmm. Navark Feng is a Hakan uh, from from allegedly the future mm-hmm. um there is artuno the betrayer uh who is now the uh, master of sumerian station um there is the thundarian uh who is actually a mahakt so uh think about that for a minute <laughs> why why on earth uh does he have a access mahakt, to a mahakt yeah wow yeah why on earth the mahakt has sworn allegiance to the nomad um worth mentioning there are only a handful like less than 20 actual mahakt left alive oh, so this gotcha. was one of those those mahakt wow um there is field field marshal mercer who mm-hmm. is a defector from the argent flight and then finally there is oxil Sivan, the alleged last survivor of the creus race wow from his from so, his future from his future yes or their um, future and 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 uh, he is a is a Krius whose uh, whose whose ethereal like tendrils are are partially red and partially bluish purple. So he looks a little bit 
wow. little bit weird uh, compared to the others. And they all claim to be from from the future. Man, every inch of this rules. <laughs> uh, so let's get into then what this, how this all uh, functions. What is this faction? Uh, so, um, like you said, they start with Arcturus as a planet, which is now a four 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 resources uh, for influence. Uh, and uh, really rad artwork. Like you said, it has this like trade station surrounding it as almost like a ring uh, around Saturn. It's just a, a fully mechanical ring. Uh, they start with one of the new uh, technologies, which is Sling Relay. All right, Sling Relay action. Exhaust this card to produce one ship in any system that contains one of your space docks. So they can just come up with is that a, a is that ship. a base blue or a, a single requirement that's blue? a level one so blue. that's the so level you... one blue not the level zero blue uh i would say sling relay notably uh the closest we're getting it feels like to uh old transfer actions right uh, oh yeah this is our ability to sort of produce something out of step of normal uh production but but so they start with a blue start with the ability to just like kind of get a really basic production off they um also their starting fleet is wildly unique um because they start with their flagship uh they also start with another carrier a destroyer three fighters four infantry and of course their space dock but this is by all intents and purposes the flagship faction right dane i mean this is they, they this is this is the flagship faction and this is the the leader faction right yes. yeah mm -hmm. flagship leader faction because like you said they have five leaders compared to everyone else's three total they have three agents uh so their three agents are Navark Fang, uh, Artuna the Betrayer, and the Thundarian. So let's go over uh, all of those abilities. I think Mercer is the agent and Fang is the Oh, did the I get commander? him backwards? Yeah, I'm, I've, I've, my list is all... Oh, yeah, Navark Fang is totally the commander. My bad. Uh, yep. Okay, yep, so yep, yep. so uh, Artuno the Betrayer looks like a, what, like a Mentac, uh, Mentac uh, person here. So uh, the Sumerian Overseer, uh, when you gain trade goods from the supply... You may exhaust this card to place an equal number of trade goods on this card. When this card readies, gain the trade goods on this card. So it's worth noting um, all agents, because they are exhaustible, um, at the same ready step of like other things in the status phase, you ready up your, your agents. So basically all agents are a once per round uh, use, right? Mm -hmm. So this is when, when you... Uh, when you gain trade goods, not commodities, but trade goods, you can opt to um, delay the 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 re receiving of more trade goods down the line. This one feels the most like okay, that's kind of like a standard thing. I feel like I'm gonna do more or less every single round. Uh, yeah, and it, and it's up to you whether you think that she's just really good at investing or she uh, she has some some insight right. on uh, how things are going to turn out with right. her investments. She, she's playing the stock market, but she knows <laughs> where the stocks are supposed to fall on every day. Um, yep. Next up is the Thundarian, our Mahakt uh, agent, which is the Temporal Enigma. After the roll dice step of combat, you may exhaust this card. If you do, hits are not assigned to either player's units. Return to the start <laughs> of this combat round's roll dice step. So basically, I rolled real terrible. You rolled real good. All right, let's do that again. Sorry, hated that. So let's go ahead and have you both roll one more time and see if it goes better this time. This one's cool. It's conditional, obviously. Not going to be used all the time, but, but could be one of those clutch... Uh, things. This is also notably uh, 
either combat, right? Space or ground combat. So this could save your planet invasion or a planet defense, or it could be a part of like a major defense against, you know, some way too good fighter role from the Nalu or something like that. And a fun lore tidbit, the Thundarian never speaks. Ooh. Noise. He doesn't really have a face, so that makes <laughs> sense. Not a traditional face. <laughs> There's definitely a face there, but it's not... It's not what you or I would call uh-huh. a, a starry void can be a face. Come on, <laughs> oh, for sure. I'll allow it. Uh, our final agent, of which we start the game with all three, uh, our final agent is Field Marshal Mercer, who is a, a looks like an Argent uh, uh, character, and it is the Shikrai General. At the end of a player's turn, you may exhaust this card to allow that player to remove up to two of the ground forces from the game board, and they place them on planets they control in the active system. So if you have, if you have just activated a system, uh, you can basically do a little mini transit diodes, uh, mm-hmm. essentially, um, which falls in line with that Argent theme of like, hey, they're, they're birdies that fly around the space. They can breathe in space, apparently. What are we saying here, Dane? <laughs> <laughs> uh let's not talk about the specifics <laughs> of what the what the field field marshal mercer may or not be capable uh-huh. of and why because i feel like that might give away a little too much sure. about the nomad um <laughs> fun more more fun lore tidbits the shikrai is the species that the argent flight uh is 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 made of the argent flight itself is is a fanatical gotcha uh sect of that species so this is not necessarily argent this is just a shakrai that has defected from from the argent flight gotcha uh so we introduced uh those agents first uh because i want to go back to the nomads faction sheet now real quick before we get into the other uh, leaders that they have because to talk about the company which is one of their faction abilities during setup you take the two additional nomad faction agents and place them next to your faction sheet you have three agents so you start with all three of these you can use all three of those abilities each round uh that that's it's just straight up and down very actually a very basic ability but in in essence is the fact that they have access to all three of those abilities from the beginning of the game. Right. Uh, their other, their second faction ability is called Future Sight. During the agenda phase, after an outcome that you voted for or predicted is resolved, you gain a trade good. So kind of just like extra little money of they knew what was going to happen all along in said agenda, and and they gain they gain all this extra little cash. Kind of kind of in a minimal way. It's not like they're gonna they're not like a you know, Mentac, where they're going to run away with dollars based on this ability, but it's kind of like a steady flow, it feels like. Yeah, I, I wanted, wanna, I wanna ask I wanted them predicting. to have something, I wanted them to have something for Artuno to, yeah. you know, if they didn't get trade goods at other right. time in the round, I wanted Further them to have ability some... to get to gain yeah. access to that. Totally. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, so with, uh, it says voted or predicted. So is that like in a situation where they can't vote because they's, they've used a rider? Or does that mean they could literally just say, I predict this? <laughs> yeah, that is for a situation in which they have used a writer. Right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. cool. I just wanted to make sure. Clarify <laughs> that. Uh, so uh, the other, th- to go back to their leaders, and then we'll come back around to their flagship, because as we said, they are a, a kind of flag- flagship-centric faction. Uh, but to play into that, your commander, which you unlock after you have scored one secret objective, which is very interesting theme there of like, I don't know what what that's saying about the nomad of their ability to like. Well, they're they're very everything they do is right, mysterious. Right, exactly. So uh, once you have done that, once you have unlocked uh, 
one secret objective. You gain Navark Fang, who is a company shipmaster, this little Hakan fella, and you can produce your flagship without spending resources. So this That's is right. obviously kind of only in case you uh, lost your flagship because you started the game with it. So if you pulled some big play early on, but you happen to lose your flagship, all you got to do is score a secret objective and you're just going to get that thing back later on. But importantly, this is a, a, an ability that you can give your Unalliance uh, promissory note to somebody and give somebody else access to their flag. You know, you could sell this to Xcha and Xcha gets to just drop the Lankara Sodu into their into their slice or whatever so yep. um pretty... so the question was do, do they just have a lot of money to rebuild their flagship or was the flagship never destroyed in the first place <laughs> wow <laughs> i love that you've had an answer for every single one of these guys this is this is great uh th so the last one then uh once you unlock your uh your ghost commander ak sil Sivan, you gain access to the uh legendary or i um, this uh, this ability this probability matrix uh time warp as an action, place this card near the game board. Your flagship and units it transports can move out of systems that contain your command tokens during this game round. At the end of that game round, purge this card. So similar to that Dominus Orb effect, we have another ability where we just get to ignore the idea that systems have been activated previously. <laughs> For the record, that is the only other ability like that in the entire <laughs> game. Prophecy of Kings is not filled with ignoring just, uh, <laughs> these abilities. We just happen to touch on well, both of them. Dane doesn't like command yes. tokens. He's tired of yep, them. The probability matrix uh, just removes the all restriction on the flagship memoria yeah. it is it is operating outside of time and space wow yes that that is uh freaking awesome uh and, and that wraps up all of their crazy leaders uh we have to also get into then what the memoria is doing because we've got two specific leaders that directly interact with this flagship so the most notable thing of the flagship is that it is upgradable. It is also one of your faction techs. If you get a green, a blue, and a yellow, you can upgrade the Memoria to the Memoria 2. But what you start with is a Memoria that it costs eight, as all, they all do. It's an average combat, two on a seven. Uh, single move, three capacity. So basically, by and large, average flagship. But its ability is you may treat this unit as if it were adjacent to systems that contain one or more of your mechs. Uh, question is, Dane, does this operate similar to the Creus flagship where, like, in, in Creus's case, the Delta flagship can show up and then other stuff from your home system can go there? Basically, can you transport your uh, mech to the front line of a new combat and then also bring the flagship because the mech is now there? So you can bring stuff. However, you cannot bring other... Um like ships with you. So this it's is a, this itself. is something that yeah, it is it is it is only the memoria right, and right. and the the things that it's that it carries that right. that can that right. can slip. But so not only are you if you upgrade that if you get that commander you're bringing uh, the memoria from anywhere doesn't matter if it's locked down, but it also doesn't even have to be in like normal range because it is adjacent to any of your mechs that you happen to bring. Uh, it also mm -hmm. has anti-fighter barrage eight times three, so three dice hitting on an eight, which is a you know decent enough anti-fighter barrage. Uh, has the normal sustained damage, but like we said, the memoria is upgradable <laughs> as one of your faction techs. Uh, so the memoria two uh, 
it has the same basic ability, treated as if it's adjacent, um, but you're just going to upgrade all of the stats. Now your anti-fighter barrage is three dice hitting on a five, and your combat is two on a five. You move two, and your capacity is six. Uh, yep. So it on its own. Just totally souped up ridiculous. Uh, and we have one more thing that we have to add to this mix with this flagship because your promissory note is called the Cavalry. Uh, you can give this card, obviously, out to some other player, and that player then gains access to this ability. At the start of a space combat against a player other than the Nomad, so you can't use it against the Nomad, but anybody else, during this combat, treat one of your non-fighter ships as if it had the sustained damage ability, combat value, and anti-fighter barrage value of the Nomad's flagship. So if the Nomad has upgraded their flagship, they gain this two on a five, three anti-fighter barrage on a five, sustained damage uh, flagship. Then return this card to the Nomad player at the end of the combat. So effectively, like statistically, kind of the best flagship somewhat in the game. That's going to be arguable, of course, but like a very, very good flagship, you can just like give access to that uh, to anybody uh -huh. at the table, which is yep. wild. Flipping cool. <laughs> also, I like that. So, like, I think with another, if if from a design perspective, like, oh, if the atten intention was, I want to have a promissory note where you can, like, lend your flagship to someone. Because of the theme, this doesn't feel that goofy. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Otherwise, yep. this would be really strange. But this <laughs> goes so well with the idea that the Nomad is so mysterious that maybe their flagship was there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, the, the flagship just happened to be there, right place, right time. They did something that they, you know, they showed up maybe to save somebody, but who knows why. Like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> they probably just paid them a bunch of money. Wow. Uh, they, I love it. Their, their second faction tech is a single yellow requirement, so it's a level one yellow, and it's called Temporal Command Suite, and it is after... Any player's agent becomes exhausted. You may exhaust this card to ready that agent. If you ready another player's agent, you may perform a transaction with that player. So this has two really cool uh, implications. First off, similar to your agents in general, it's any player. So you can do it to one of your agents after you exhaust it, or you can sell this to somebody else to unexhaust someone else's agent. But furthermore, this is what? The only ability in the game that lets you trade outside of your turn? Like it could be somebody else's turn and you can do a transaction with a player if you grant them access yep. to this ability. It's also the only ability in the game that uh, readies an agent. That is uh, freaking wild. Um, that's going to have probably some really, really dire consequences. Just knowing what a bunch of the agents do, the, the idea that you could do some of those agents twice in a round um, is pretty crazy uh and and the fact that you have three agents of your own to choose between which you might use this on yourself uh is is doubly crazy um you know i'm not about to sit here and call this a must get tech because i think we're we we are now in a in a in the days where there is no tech that is we're a must get yeah waters. exactly uh but this this tech seems really crazy because you're just doubling the amount of abilities uh you get to do um, mm -hmm. the fine smells like the type of tech that would drive an experienced player crazy. Yeah. Actually <laughs> to me, like this, this is, this is one of those where I can totally, I can even think of people yeah. that especially even just the idea, even if all it said was you may perform a transaction with a player not on when your it's turn. not. Yeah. yeah. Like even that in and of itself 
is going to drive some people up the wall <laughs> trying to figure out how to use this the best way that they can. You know, I'd love to engineer a scenario that was specifically six factions chosen for how mind-bending people are going to have to get <laughs> to figure out. So we'd have yeah. the, the necrovirus, yeah. the Isaril for reasons that uh, yeah. will become obvious someday when the we're gonna. Stuff I, is I'm going to throw Hakan in there. Hakan not only already had crazy trading capabilities, but it's really gone off the handle <laughs> in yeah. this right. expansion. Uh, uh, Nomad. Yeah. Gosh, who else would we toss in that list? I'd throw Titans in there, but, but maybe that's because I know how crazy Titans well, get in general, but not necessarily because of combos with other people i don't know yeah i don't, I don't know if that fit quite fits with combos but yeah those four in any game are yeah. gonna make people just <laughs> stop and be like oh no what are we supposed to do <laughs> there's too much player interaction <laughs> uh the final uh faction specific thing to go over with the nomad is their mech which we've already talked about how their mechs uh, directly function with their flagship and make that crazy. Mm -hmm. But just by themselves, they have mechs called quantum manipulators. While this unit is in a space area during combat, you may use its sustained damage ability to cancel a hit that is produced against your ships in this system. Uh, notably, I want to double check this with you, Dane. Does, is, does this avoid direct hit? Because direct hit, I believe, specifically targets Says ships. ships. Yeah. With sustained damage. So this is a undirect hittable sustained damage that you can use to protect your uh, flagship, dreadnoughts, or war sons, right? Yeah, I mean, can you really direct hit something that knew you were coming? <laughs> right? right. Yeah, can't can't beat that logic. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, just yeah. just it just works. <laughs> one, one, one second it was there, the next second it wasn't. <laughs> you or never, maybe it was you just never a, actually a fired the shot. Turns out. Yeah. Or, or did you? I'm not really sure, to be honest. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, this ruled. That's that is the Nomad. That is Prophecy of Kings. That's everything we've got to to reveal and talk about today. Uh, but actually, so this episode is coming out kind of outside the bounds of normal timing because of the the timing of you guys kind of announcing your own stuff. It's appearing mysteriously. It's appearing mysteriously. It, it, it turns out we always knew this was going to happen. Uh, and similar also, to our nomadic friends. in the future <laughs> or the past. I'm not sure. Man. Or is it recorded in the past for... Well, never mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, yes, no. <laughs> uh, but we have more to talk about, but we can't fit it into this episode. So uh, this coming Tuesday at our normal Space Cats time, uh, Dane, we also have to talk about the Twilight Codex that got revealed uh, as part of all of this. Um, you you teased this a little bit in our um, Omega conversation, but you guys are doing more persistent releases. Yeah, uh, coming yeah we, up. we are web releases. And, and uh, you know, a lot of this was just how positively the community mm -hmm. reacted to uh, the Omega tech. And um, so, um, you know, we want to do more of that. We want to, you know, keep the, the, the TI for you know experience alive, uh, you know yeah. even with the release of Prophecy of Kings and um, and so it's 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 an it's an intended to be a, an ongoing thing where we will revisit old components yeah. and we will uh, also add new ones, um, but not just that, but also involve the community and also um, kind of just expand just the lore yeah. uh, of what we know about the TI setting. Totally. Um, so without going into too much detail today, stay tuned for uh, like this coming Tuesday because we're going to 
have you back, Dane, uh, in just a couple days to talk in detail about what the first Twilight Codex, which is called the Ordinian, uh, we're going to talk about what all is contained within that in, in I would say, even more exhaustive detail than everything we went through today. Today was like, and by, eh, and here's a couple some days, you mean a couple minutes or a couple minutes ago? Like, didn't we already? <laughs> it's already happened, <laughs> and it is always going to happen. And also, Matt hasn't had the baby yet, but has. She's five years old now, and. Uh... She is the nomad. <laughs> The no, the no Molly, the anomaly, <laughs> the anom, the anomaly. <laughs> All right, wow. There we go. I'm helping. <laughs> wow. Well, that was awesome. Um, it's just Matt here to close things off. Hunter is literally in the middle of his cross-country move, so I'm just going to do a super fast rundown today. I want to thank all of our Space Kitties and Weird Bears, Farganess, Brian, Billy, T.G. Welch, Naderade, Patience of Virtue, Polyphony Requiem, R.Y.'s, Hippie Priest Turtles, Gazkio, Dark Jutsu, More Tension, Bot Bot, and Absol197. Thank you for your patronage and being a part of this show. Uh, the Hunter Donaldson Fan Club is coming up, and your votes are for a in-real-life Nuzlocke run of a three-player game with Hunter, myself, and EJ. Uh, Nuzlocke is EJ's super weird variant where your ships die forever. Uh, or our old option of audience agendas. You can do a Franken-draft or root all cats. Or Hunter plays Hunter and I play Halo 1 co-op on, uh, on the stream. Uh, so that's not going to be the option that gets selected, but I wanted to put it on there anyways. Uh, also, uh, we've got a Galactic Council episode vote finishing up. I believe it's actually kind of wrapping up at this point, and uh, Partners in TI has more or less locked it up. I think what we're going to do for this is an AMA. I think we're going to turn it into an Ask Hunters and My uh, Partners stuff. I don't know. It's not going to be Ask Anything. It's going to be Ask things that Hunter and I then decide what we actually ask our significant others. But... um. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, y'all. That's scary. You can also give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps increase the visibility of the show, increase the visibility of Twilight Imperium, lets us do stuff like this, keeps us in the know. And you can also, here's here, watch how fast the rest of the rundown goes. You can go to spacecatspeaceturtles.com for more information. That's it. We have a website now, and that's all the stuff where the information is, and that's where it lives and breathes and dies. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. This was a this was a very fun experience to get to be a part of, and uh, I'm just very happy that it's out in the wild now. Thank you, Dane, again for being on the show and for this wonderful gift you've given all of us. We're we're all pooping our pampers uh, just to get our hands on it, and uh, November can't come soon enough. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>